You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. Yeah? All right. Well, hey, if you've got a Bible, go ahead and open it up. We're in Matthew chapter 6 is where we're going to be looking this morning when Jesus said the statement, uh, Matthew chapter 6 verses 19 through 21 is kind of the overview. And we've been in a series called uh, Treasure. And so last week we looked at uh, what does it look like for us when Jesus made that command, do not lay up for yourselves uh, treasures on earth. So uh, how many of you guys, maybe over the course of the week, you went home and you looked at your garage and you go, yeah, I got a ton of stuff, or you're sitting there in the closet and it's so packed out and you're like, man, I should really clean that out. Raise your hand if that was you. Okay. And how many of you actually did something about it? Yeah. Okay. So somebody did. Great. Uh, Hey, it's really important during this uh, season, what we want to do at North Valley is make it a connecting point to you where for the scriptures come alive for you and you apply them day by day. So this morning, what I want to do is um, we're going to move through this beginning part uh, pretty quickly and then give you some real practical application. I'm going to tell you some stories of how God's impacted my life through the teaching of Christ as it comes to material possessions, uh, finances, and all that stuff. So I want to clarify, though, before we get started this morning, is the Bible doesn't teach uh, a poverty theology nor a prosperity theology. I talked about that last week and just said, you know, we all know folks that are poor and very, very godly. We know people that are poor and very, very ungodly. We know people that are rich and very generous and godly. We know people that are rich and that are very ungodly and sinful and selfish. So the Bible doesn't really teach that that you need to be one or the other, but it teaches this idea of stewardship theology, that you and me are money managers. That's how we're, we're to, everything that we have belongs to God and that we're to manage it and steward it. Everything in the world, including money and all material possessions, are ultimately created by God and are to be used for his glory and our good. That idea, too, is like the things that we have are good. They're fun. Like this can be one of the greatest joyful devices around, an iPhone. It, can, it brings me worship. I've been jamming out to this uh, new uh, uh, music worship dude named Zach Williams. Anybody ever heard of that guy? Man, it's really cool. It's like Zach Brown became a Christian. It was really cool. Uh, and Zach Williams. And so I'm, I'm, yesterday, my whole day was filled with just worship and connecting and you know, uh, technology can be a blessing, and it can also be a curse. It can be used for great evil. Um, but everything we have, the way God sees it, I, cre- I ultimately created the man, I created woman, and they create things, but everything links back to God. And so what we're supposed to do is to try to place our hearts not on earthly treasures and possessions, but figuring out how to get our heart to connect to heaven. So Jesus says this, reviewing it, Matthew 6, 19 through 21, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But here it is, compare contrast, Jesus, brilliant teacher, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is, there your heart will also be also. Uh, Next week, we're gonna look at the heart. The big deal around all of this teaching Jesus is moving towards is the heart. So he starts with real practical stuff. What do you have in your garage? What do you have in your closet? What do you have? uh, Where's all your earthly possessions? But then he transitions and says, but I want you to think about eternal things, eternal treasure. 
So what does it mean to store up treasure in heaven? Jesus says to do it. So it's a command. It means do this. Jesus says to do it. He says, but store for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. And then, but he doesn't really tell us how. How do you, how do you store up treasure in heaven? Um, the apostle Paul use, uses, I think, uh, relies on the teaching of Christ um, by far, whether Christian or non-Christian, everybody can testify, all historians, secular, uh, Christian or non-Christian would agree. Um, G- Jesus was this, said to be a miracle worker, uh, and, but nobody can deny that the Apostle Paul was a real historical figure. Um, and this is what the Apostle Paul says. He says, Apostle Paul says, they are to do good, be rich in good works, to be generous, ready to share, verse 19, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Three ways that we can lay up treasure very simply according to the Apostle Paul's teaching is do good, um, be generous, and share. Look, look, look how he says that. He says... Uh, there to do good, to be rich in good works. It means doing good things. You know, Jesus really doesn't need your good works, though. He doesn't need your good works. God doesn't need your good works, but your neighbors do. Your neighbors need your good works. The way God's designed every believer is that we're to be a light to our community. Jesus said, you're the light of the what? Of the world. Our good works testify that we know the good one. Um, our good works are what, don't, they don't get us into heaven. Jesus' good work got us into heaven by believing in Christ. But when it comes to living the Christian life, which is the best life, we got to understand that God actually created us for good work. The way you work at your job, the way you interact with people. It's all, it's all God wants you to uh, lay up treasures in heaven by doing good work, by being generous. That's where I'm going to spend most of the time on our discussion this morning. And ready to share. Elmo says sharing is caring. As a young uh, dad, I, I always realize that. And it's funny, it's very fundamental. As a parent, we all teach our kids, we, they, we want them to share. Stop that, you need to share. Uh, yesterday afternoon, we were up the street um, playing with the kid down the street, which uh, I invited this family to Easter, which, by the way, is a real easy way to invite him to Easter, a family in my neighborhood. I said, hey, I said, uh, we're having an Easter egg hunt. And immediately the kid goes, I want to go, Dad. Take me to church. <laughs> easy way to invite, invite families to the church and tell them we're doing an Easter egg hunt. I said, well, by the way, we have uh, four different services if you want to join us. Uh, but my little girl, Maya, she's six years old, and we got to teach her how to share all the time. Um, when you're older, we don't call it, oh, you need to share, you need to share. We call it generosity. You need to be generous. Um, everybody would agree that nobody, if you're an employer, you don't want to hire greedy people. <laughs> they'll steal your money. Uh, they'll, 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 they'll cut corners. You always want to hire generous people. How many of you would like to be married to a spouse that's characterized as being greedy all the time? You always want to be married to generous people. Um, the Bible advocates that we should be generous people. So let me clarify what I mean by laying up treasures in heaven. Laying up treasure in heaven should be defined 
as broadly as possible. How do you store up or lay up treasures in heaven? It needs to be defined as broadly as possible from serving others to doing good works to teaching others about Jesus to reaching out to others, especially giving financially to the Lord's work. The part that we're, we're, we're doing uh, really well at the church, and most churches do really well, is in the area of doing good works, is, is serving people. I want to read to you uh, some of the good work that I'm really proud of you guys for doing. Um, our CARES team is a ministry that was formed over this uh, last summer to help minister to the needs of people. And uh, here's what uh, one single um, mom wrote about her experience with the CARES team. She said, I just moved in town. I didn't have any help to move, and I didn't have enough money to pay for professional movers, and the church stepped in and helped me. I love my church. That's you guys, as, a, as people in ministry, uh, serving together to do good work. Um, volunteers, here's uh, the result of people in our church that are counselors and serve as uh, volunteer their services. Somebody said this, our marriage was in trouble, and we reached out for counseling. I don't think we'd still be married if it wasn't for this church. God has used the people here at this church to change my life and to save my marriage. That's good work, amen? That's good work. Here's a note from guest services. We were looking for a church, but it was more so an excuse not to go for a really long time. You guys been there before? You're like, I'm looking for a church. Been like a year or two. Still going. Uh, We wanted to come to North Valley a year ago and never made it. Finally, we walked in. We were greeted by the guest services and it made us feel welcome. And the worship was so wonderful and the message was real. And in the middle of the service, I nudged my husband and said, we're home. Uh, That's cool, isn't it? How did that happen? It happened because people were doing good work. It was people in the guest services. It was the music that was done so craft, so, so wonderfully. That, that's, that's good work. Here's one for kids, kids volunteers. My kids love it. Going to church isn't easy for us. Getting the kids ready to get out the door is a huge challenge. How many parents are there before? You know, like, it's like crazy. The enemy's on attack between like 7 a.m. to 8.30 Big time in every household here with every young family. Uh, going to church isn't easy for us, but my daughter actually loves it. She gets sad if we can't go to church on a Sunday. Here's what I want you to know, that the church grows and thrives from people whose names will never be in lights, whose name, or who won't be on the main stage. They're unsung heroes. They're backstage servants. They're ordinary people. That's how churches thrive with people like you guys serving. God uses simple and practical ways to make an extraordinary impact. If it's holding open a door, handing out programs, coffee, guest services. But God doesn't want to use us just to uh, with our service. He also wants to use us as stewards. Not simply of our time and our talent, but our treasure. Um, The area that I want to focus on this morning is uh, the treasure investment theology. Uh, Your question and answers are about giving and tithing. Um, I teach, I say this oftentimes, is I never preach at the pulpit. And if this is a pulpit, that's a funny pulpit. But uh, I never preach at the pulpit what I don't teach at the table. Um, 
I teach my kids to tithe. Tithing is a, is a biblical practice that's been happening for thousands of years. So this morning, I want to talk to you about the tithe. Well, the concept of the tithe is rooted in the idea that first, everything belongs to God. Everything belongs to God. Here's what the scripture says. Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them. In other words, everything in the world is God's. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts, according to Haggai, the prophet. Everything is the Lord's. He owns everything. God wants us to be, uh, us to steward our resources as his money managers, not as the CEO. The biggest deal in being a, a vibrant Christian is literally realizing that you have to get down on your knees and you have to ask for help from the Lord, that you don't have enough to figure everything out, that he's the CEO and that you're not, that you need a godly, wonderful, omniscient, all-powerful, omnipotent uh, God to rule and reign over your life. Submission is the issue of the heart. And if we play the CEO of our own lives and everything, then we carry a burden that is just way too big for our life. But when we play the role of a manager, and I mean everything, your time, your talent, your treasure, even the people that you love, and just say, I'm going to do the best, but ultimately, Lord, this is your hand at work. We, we've got to trust God with everything. God's money management plan is simple. It's give 10%, save 10%, and live on the rest. That's what we teach. That's what uh, has been a, a consistent teaching within evangelicalism. Uh, that means any church that professes Jesus Christ is Lord, central. The Bible is the authority of Scripture. It's a great rule to live by. Give 10%, save 10%, and live on the rest. I'd like to say that I had a great track record as a a young adult, Um, but I was a terrible, lost, broken man searching for life uh, as a young teenager all the way up until about 18, 19 years old. And then I had a conversion experience where I figured out I had to get on my knees and ask for help. And I discovered it when I was... uh, Giving my life to Christ and surrendering, that's where I would find life in coming to that place of surrender. But sanctification, growing in the process of holiness, doesn't happen all of a sudden, all at once. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, um, the area of money for me as a new Christian was one of the hardest. I remember when I first got married to my wife, I've told you the story. Uh, We lived um, in a little house of almost, it was about a thousand square foot. We didn't have any money. Leslie was working at Red Lobster. Um, I was working a couple jobs. I was working at the church. I was finishing up my last semester in business school, taking courses like quantitative methods. I was like, where's the gun? Uh, it was, I, was, I was verging on exhaustion, fatigue, burnout. And uh, I'd been a Christian now for uh, a number of years, but the area of giving was a big deal to me. And I remember um, my wife said, you know, Ryan, um, the Bible teaches that we should be giving. And you're on staff at a church. I'm like, oh, Lord, that hurt. 
And I said, yeah, I know. I said, but they don't pay me enough. We were, I literally, my salary was $20,000. That's, that's just not a lot. How, how do you make a family work with 20,000 bucks? Um, thankfully, my mortgage payment was 450 bucks, so it was pretty cheap. Um, I was working a landscaping job on the side, and she challenged me. She said, we need to start giving and trusting the Lord. So we did. And I was really happy because I felt good about it. I felt like God started to honor our, our, our uh, lifestyle more. And it put things in priority for us. And I felt a peace of ease of not a conflict in Scripture. How many of you ever open up the Bible and read it and go, oh, man, that's good. But I, that, that, I don't want to apply that part. Um, I was doing that. It's like every time I did a devotional, it was on about being generous. And I was like, oh, shoot, you know. So finally it happened, though. It was really cool, cool story. One time I was asked uh, by my, I was a, a youth pastor at the time, and I was asked by a, a team of individuals to organize citywide festival for uh, youth, kids. And uh, we were going to bring in, at the time, Stephen Baldwin. You guys know Stephen Baldwin, Alec Baldwin, those guys. Well, Stephen became a Christian, you know. So Stephen becomes a Christian, and so he's traveling the country doing uh, outreach events with uh, extreme sports. And so I was organizing. I was, my job at the church was to reach the kids that nobody else could reach. So I organized this big outreach, and uh, I think it was costing, I think it cost $30,000 to put on this outreach. Uh, the goal, we were trying to get uh, 500 kids there. We were going to share the gospel in, in the center of downtown Little Rock area or whatever. And um, my job was to raise the resources for that. And uh, I was having a really hard time. And we were coming down to a big, a big time where if we didn't have the money to bring in this whole, it was worship, it was band and skateboarders and BMXers and all this thing. And I was working with multiple denominations and uh, I was having a hard time raising the money. And uh, somebody asked me, how much have you put into this financially? And I hadn't given any money yet. And I, I told the guy, I said, I hadn't given anything. And he said, maybe the Lord would bless it if you, put, if you went in. So immediately I went home, told my wife, we had the conversation and we put, the, put money in. We just got a, a tax return back and we put money in to give towards it. And immediately, within a very short amount of time, all the resources came in really, really fast. And I walked away from that experience, and I'm like, Is that, was that tricky? Was that just coincidental? Or was that, was that really you, God? And I look back, and I go, no, that was the Lord. Here's a great passage of Scripture to help understand the tithe. The Bible says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled to plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. The idea is that you do it first. You don't wait till everything else is dealt with. You, you do it first. And I want to tell you, if you guys aren't, some of you might be in a position, I know many of you are giving significantly, continually, and thank you. That's how we're here. We're, we're here because of sacrifice, sacrificial giving, people giving, people tithing. But maybe you're here and you haven't ever given before to the Lord's work. Um, I get it. This idea of first fruits means that that's the first thing you do. The idea would have been that before when the Israelites were gathering their harvest, uh, they would take first the best and um, give it to the Lord's workers and the Lord's people. 
and all of the wealth as well, they would contribute towards the Lord's work and the place of their worship first. And the Bible promises that God's going to supply. On a practical note, what I want to encourage you to do is, I think tithing looks like it's just, it's automatic. Today, we do online giving in our church, and I like that, and I don't like that. I like the feeling of feeling a little bit of the pain by putting, the, putting money into the offering and feeling the, the joy and the excitement at the same time to do that. But then there's a nice peace and ease of mind, too, that it just goes out like that. Uh, recently, my wife and I got a, a gift back from um, uh, the IRS or whatever, did our its taxes, and some money came back. And, I, and I, this has been our practice for us. I always tell Leslie, um, let's give first everything that comes in. Because I really believe, and I know you might think I'm crazy, but we'll look at the scriptures. But I really believe God will always honor and bless our faithfulness. Now, he might choose to do that in a financial way. He might choose that to do that in a spiritual blessing that we might get in heaven. But I believe he's going to bless our obedience. Um, and it just feels good to do it. Um, the Bible teaches the idea of uh, planning as well. So you're not supposed to just give reluctantly or under compulsion. But the idea is that you're to do it uh, uh, do it in a way that makes sense. Here's what Proverbs 21.5 says, good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. So the idea needs to be, it's a plan. And that's where giving becomes more joyful when it's planned into your lifestyle and budget. Um, yesterday, we had a financial workshop. I had a number of you guys that were turned out for that. Um, the cool story behind the guy that was teaching that, he's a, um, a financial planner, um, um, and uh, he's got an incredible uh, financial testimony. Uh, I think we have a picture is Will Landis, the guy who ended up uh, coming to faith in Christ here in our church, uh, baptized his daughter into our church, uh, is teaching financial planning and financial stewardship and budgeting. It just a, makes a huge uh, difference to see what can happen when you get on a plan. Here's God's Old Testament policy and New Testament principles clearly in Scripture. I want to walk through some of the, uh, there on your program, you've got um, a chart. Old Testament policies. In the Old Testament, the, the idea of the tithe was, the word tithe literally means 10%. Uh, a tithe is 10% of all that you receive. It's, uh, there was a little bit, a Levitical tithe in the Old Testament. There was a tithe of the feast. There was a tithe for the poor. And, and Old Testament believers would give up to 30% in a given year. That's a lot of resources. Um, here's one of the most classic Bible verses on tithing. Deuteronomy 14.22 says, You shall tithe all the yield of your seed that comes from the field year by year. That means everything that comes in in a given year, you're to tithe on. Um, for some of you, this might be radical new information, um, but this is the way believers have operated in faithfulness from generation to generation for thousands of years. Uh, the question comes is why? 
Well, remember, God owns everything. It's all his. And his, you actually get the big end of the stick. I think God gets the short end of the stick if all we're doing is tithing because we get 80% of all our resources. 10% goes to, back to the Lord's work because God's designed it where you and me, the church, are the vessels for hope for humanity. We have an eternal message in our lives and the way we act and the message that we share about Jesus is we're his vessels. And they have, even in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel was be, to be a nation among all nations to share and show the love of God throughout all the earth. Um, tithing, though, is a difficult thing. It's something that we've got to trust the Lord in. Um, story on uh, tithing for my son and my family is, and I asked Sam if I could share this story, but uh, a couple years ago, I was teaching a message on giving and tithing, and I opened up the Bible, and we talk about it at the, at the table at the house, and uh, Sam had just, they earned their chores. I mean, they, they do their chores, and they earn their allowance, and so he was getting some money, and uh, he had just a little bit of money, and he said, Dad, I, I've got enough money where I could m- maybe get a game over at GameStop. Uh, one over there by Walmart, you know, and so he said, but I, I'm conflicted because if I give a tithe on this, then I won't have enough money for my game. And I, here, you know, here's the deal. The goal of parenting is not that you... you, 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 you you want them to be independent of us as parents and dependent on God. So I said, Sam, well, it's your choice. Because even the Bible doesn't teach this idea that, like, I mean, in New Testament, we're going to see it needs to be freely. It needs to be your decision of what you make or, or what you contribute. So I said, Sam, you, you make the choice, what you want to do. So he makes the choice, he gives, and, and then... Um, it was really cool. Somebody came up to me, um, uh, it was a week or so later, and they said, hey, I was blessed with a financial gift, and I really felt like the Lord impressed upon my heart that I was to tie that gift, and, and I was to give a portion of the proceeds to encourage somebody that might need to be encouraged in the area of giving and tithing as a blessing. And I, I shared with her the story of my son, and she said, that's perfect, because it just had happened. And uh, she said to me, she said, now don't tell him that it was me, because he'll be coming back for more. <laughs> I said, you're wise, you're wise. Uh, I came up to Sam, and I said, Sam, this is kind of a crazy story, but I was in conversation with this lady, and uh, your name came up about your obedience and your giving, and she received a gift, and she felt like the Lord wanted to encourage somebody in our church in the area of giving and uh, to give a gift back. And, uh, I, and it was like 20 bucks. It was like 10 times the amount <laughs> of what he had tithed. And uh, it was such a cool moment as a dad to wrap my arms around my son and just say, See, God, isn't God good, Sam? Isn't that cool? Um, does it always happen like that? No. I mean, God's not like a genie that you, you rub the magic bottle or you do you a slot machine that you, you put into motion. And it's not, enough, it's not like that. But God is faithful to his promises that he will reward. 
and you say to me, well, what are those rewards? I mean, it could be a financial reward. It could be uh, some kind of spiritual blessing that God could bring into your life, but obedience is the issue. So what does the New Testament teach on? New Testament principles, um, the idea is generous, that you're really generous. Um, it doesn't focus on a policy. It focuses on principles. Um, it's to be willing and cheerful. So for me to mandate my son to give would violate New Testament principles in giving. Uh, it needs to be a regular pattern of life. It needs to be regular, and you need to do it consistently. Um, it needs to be proportionate to one's ability, meaning it's not a certain amount. So if you have a lot of financial um, finance, finances or income in your family, it's proportionate. If you have very little, it's proportionate. Um, it's sacrificial. It's incredibly sacrificial. Examples that we'll be looking at this morning is the example of the poor widow who gives her offering. Um, you think about the passages uh, where in the New Testament as well, where Paul uses the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, the church of Macedonia, they're the generous ones, and they're, they're poor. They're, they're giving out of their poverty. So the question comes is, well, how much should we give? Should, should we give 10%, 20%, 30%? Here's what I would argue, at least in my mind, uh, I ask this question. As New Testament believers who received God's best, meaning they've got Christ, they've got the Messiah, why would they give any less than those in the Old Testament? Um, so to me, I think 10% is a great starting point. The biblical word, again, for tithe is, is the idea of 10%. I think it's a great starting point. I know for some of you, like, I just need to work up to that and do that. I get that. I understand that. If the, way, the best way I would encourage people to think about it is get into an automatic plan where you're given 10%. Maybe it's an online deal. And then you turn around, and as more resources come in, you give what's called an offering. Tithe and offerings are different. Uh, offerings can be above and beyond a, a regular uh, tithe. Uh, but if you don't, let me encourage you as a dad to young kids and to parents for a moment. If you don't teach these kind of principles, how do you expect that God is going to be honoring all their financial needs and resources if they're not being obedient in these areas? How do we as Christians pray for God's blessing and provision and abundance in our surplus, in our businesses, and in our workplaces, in our income, if we're not being obedient in these areas? How, how do we do that? Um, greatest example of sacrificial giving in the New Testament, I think, is this, is um, in Mark 12, 41 through 44, we see the story of the, of the poor widow, and it says that, and Jesus had come in, he had come into a, a place of worship and he is watching what's observing. There was a time for uh, an offering. And he, that's Jesus, sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums and a poor widow came and put two small copper coins, which, which uh, makes a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. 
for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, she had to live on. She gave out of shortage, not out of surplus. That's, that's what's called sacrificial giving. Um, that's exactly what happened to the church in Macedonia. They were giving out of a shortage, not out of a surplus. So uh, the idea that giving and tithing and offerings are just for people who have more than enough is not a biblical concept at all. Uh, it's proportionate. It's, it's, it might be just a baby step for some of us. Uh, for others of us, we need to take a significant jump and go for it. Um, you know, when I look back on the story of our, our developing this property, it, it came out of sacrificial giving. The story behind North Valley is uh, when I teach class 101, I say a couple things you need to know what made this church work so well is that uh, people served and people gave sacrificially. Um, I felt like um, God wanted me to lead the charge in that, and so um, I told my wife that we need to have some significant conversations with my family back in Arkansas. I'm going to show you a picture of the property that we had back in Arkansas. Um, this is my family's uh, rice ranch, we call it. And uh, my job was as, as a kid when my dad, uh, he, my dad's a Christian psychiatrist, and he's like a wannabe uh, rancher, Duck Dynasty guy. So uh, he's, he's a cool old man, you know. I love him to death, and we're, we're really good friends. I'm going to have him out, Lord willing, after Easter. He's a Christian psychiatrist. We're going to be talking about uh, depression and uh, discouragement and all that stuff and mental health and Christianity and the Bible and all that. But anyway, so as a kid, I, I was out on that rice ranch, and my job was, I was to, we cleared all that property. You see all those woods. Uh, we cleared all the trees, uh, uh, most of it by hand, and then after the kids were dying, you know, uh, we got bulldozers out there and all that stuff. So I had like 10 brothers and sisters and half of them, you know, gone now. So just joking. <laughs> but it felt like that. It felt like it was I mean, Saturday mornings. That's what we had to do. So my dad said, son, you're earning your PhD, your post hole digger. So uh, we grew up on this rice ranch uh, most of my life. And, uh, and then the plan was, my dad said, oh, I'm going to divide up the property and, and give it to you guys as a gift. And the promise was this, though, you've got to come back to Arkansas, I'll give you land and a horse, and, uh, and live on our property. Well, my two brothers did that, and their houses are on there. Google uh, updated their image, images, so I found that. I was like, oh, sweet, you know, good job, Google. Um, so, you know, but what I did was I told my dad uh, when we were getting, trying to buy this campus, I said, Dad... Um, we've got an inheritance of property, which really was the, the stipulation was you have to just move back to Arkansas, take the property, you get uh, several acres, and then you get a horse or whatever, you know. So uh, I'm like, awesome, great, but we're never coming back. You know, like we're never coming back. Like we feel God's full on life calling here in one church, one community, one life. That's our deal. And uh, he's like, well, sorry, you just don't get an inheritance then. You know, it's just, it's just what it is. And I, because I went to him and I said, well, Leslie and I were thinking about it. Is there any way, and this was a really hard ask, is there any way that you could split up the property, we could sell it, and then just take the proceeds and give it to the church? 
And he's like, son, we're not like that. Like, we're not going to have some random neighbor living on our property next to your brother, you know? Like, the, Rob would come after you, you know? He's going to hunt you down. Like, that is taboo to our family. And then, you know, he said, but let me pray about it. I walked, I flew him out here and he walked the property and he was walking around. This place used to be Skunk Creek Flats, Bella Giordano's, it was a wedding venue, a bar, a restaurant. Um, like, it was just a cool story, cool property. So I walked my dad out here, he sees the property and he's like, man, this is awesome. This is really cool. Um, you gotta have it. So he ends up, what he does is he was in a shortage season. He says, I'll give you the value of the property now and give that gift to the church. And then, you know, you won't have that inheritance anymore. And we did it. And uh, he wrote a check and sent it to us. And it kickstarted a campaign. And by God's grace, we raised all the money that we needed and more. And many of you guys were a part of that. That campaign commitment just finished off. And the stories like that, many more of you made sacrificial giving, went above and beyond, and did the same thing. And God uses that sacrificial giving. And it's very clear even in the New Testament. There's a guy by the name of Barnabas. He's my favorite, Barney, out of the New Testament. In the very early of the church, God uses giving as God's economic and wealth redistribution plan. They do it much, God's people do it much better than the way the government does it, but this is how it's always been in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Look at Acts 434 through 35. There was not a needy person among them. As many were owners of lands and houses sold them. Um, Barnabas was one of the guys that was doing this. He took his property, sold it, and then took the proceeds and gave it to the early church. And the early church was kick-started. And brought the proceeds that was sold, laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each to had need. You know, I mean, when you think through kind of how when you give, you need to realize, I mean, we had, if you didn't pick up one of those impact reports, we had over $16,000 that we were able to give out away from this church uh, towards local and global outreach initiatives called the Hope Offering. We've done local missions. Uh, we've done global missions, sending people to Dominican Republic. Um, we've helped fund and kickstart over 15 different churches, 10 in unreached people groups in Nepal, five lo- uh, around the nation. M- mercy money goes out all the time through this church through your giving. Um, mercy monies. Here's a testimony. My husband and I fell into really hard times and got super behind on our mortgage. God used the church to help us in our greatest time of need. I can't say enough about how grateful we are. That's how it works. It's like we share. It's, it's how God uses it. So here's what I want to do in our closing time together is I want to show you uh, this illustration And uh, here's the last point, so I'll give it to you now, is giving helps us trust God for his extraordinary provision. So God provides, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that, and God will generously provide all you need. He doesn't say all your greeds. Then you will always have everything you need. There'll be plenty left over. And as I understand it this morning, my guess is, is you, there's guys, some of you guys are hearing this and you're thinking, yeah, right, I don't know if I could believe that. I don't know if God would really provide for me or I could trust him with that. 
So I'd like to say there's two kinds of people here today that are hearing this. I'm going to call him Pragmatic Pete. And Pete says, great, I'm hearing your message. Good message. Yep, pretty good. Talking about money. Okay. Uh, I can't give because I've got to pay off my bills I got medical expenses. I want to reduce my debt. I'm not reducing my debt. And uh, I've got to make my car payments. I've got to, I don't even have an emergency fund, but I need to get that funded. So he's at A and he says, for me to get from A to B in life, I need 100% of all my resources. No way I'm gonna get through if I give anything. And then today, just maybe a couple rows back, there's another guy here, and his name is Charles. And Charles is committed in his faith. He's seen God bless his giving. He's seen how God works in incredible ways and provides. He believes this passage of scripture about talking how God's going to provide for your needs. And he says, you know what? Maybe the two have a conversation after church and Charles says to Pete, Pete, yeah, I overheard you talking about, you just think this message was crazy, but I want to tell you, I've seen God show up and show off in incredible ways over my life. And he says, hey, Pete, I need you to know that I've got the same goals that you do from A to B. I feel the same pressures that you're talking about. But what I've seen is I made a commitment to the Lord that I'm only going to live on 90%. And I'm going to trust that God's going to take me not only from A to B and meet all my needs, but I believe somehow, and I've seen it done in the past, he takes me with extraordinary provisions in my life. What do you risk in, in living a life like a pragmatic Pete or Charles is that you get to, you'll miss out on the extraordinary blessings that God does. So Charles and Pete have a conversation after church, and Pete says, Charles, you're crazy. And he says, you're crazy to live like that. That's, that's kind of crazy. And Charles says to Pete, Pete, you're crazy. You come to church, you trust God with your marriage, you trust God for your children, you trust God and pray for his blessing in your work, but when it comes to your resources, you're not willing to trust God. And Charles says to Pete, Pete, you're crazy. And so they're having a crazy argument. And so here's my question. I do this message this, uh, every year, is you've got to choose which kind of crazy you want to be. You've got to choose which kind of crazy you want to be. You're going to be Pete crazy, you know, or Charles crazy. In closing, here's what I want to encourage you to do is some of you are in a category where I understand that you're just, you haven't given anything and I get that. Maybe God's working on your financial testimony, your story. Uh, for some of you, you need to move from giving nothing to giving something. So this is our take home. Move from giving nothing to maybe giving something. And some of you that are giving something, move to giving significantly. Here's what I want to challenge you to do. I just want you to ask the Holy Spirit to guide you in this process, to look at the scriptures and just say, I want my life to reflect something like this. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for today and the great opportunity to teach 
biblical theology on giving and tithing and ultimately being a steward. We pray, God, uh, for your work to be done in the hearts and the homes of people. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give online today at northvalleychurch.org.